Hey, it's Kylie Unell. My podcast, 49 Days to Stretch My Soul, is airing each weekday between Passover and Shavuot and follows my daily journey to stretch my soul during these spiritual days. We also wanted to give unorthodox listeners a special weekly window into my Omer counting journey. So here's the past week on 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Monday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. It's hard to believe that we've been doing this for six weeks now, but it's been six weeks of Sfirata Omer, six weeks of incredible growth, stretching, some might say, and we have reached the final week. We are now in a week that I associate with Beyonce which is the week of Malchut, which translates to, as I understand it, kingliness, queenliness. It's this majestic quality of self. I don't know what exactly that looks like aside from having a figure who embodies it. So for the final week, I'm going to be speaking to, there's a little bit of sadness in my voice because I've loved having this every single week and I've loved talking to this person every week. Dasi Zar, who is the co-director, community leader of Kilas Atid, Chabad House Bowery's young professional branch. She has led us every single week and has completely shaped the Sphira experience for me. And so I'm excited to see what she has to share for our final week. Hi, Dossie. Hi, Kylie. We made it. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> You know when you play those little game boards and you, like, never think you're going to make it to the end? Yeah. And then you do and you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. I don't want this to end. Yeah, I don't but, like, it's been a lot, right? It's been a lot <laughs> of stretching. A lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about Malchut. I feel like you got it. And Beyonce is such a great association. Right? Because when we think of Malchus, we're really talking about that majestic queenship, kingship quality. And I think it takes a little bit of digging to get ourselves there. Mm. But the truth is we all have it. And what gets in our way is ourselves. I think it's apt also that Beyonce's queenliness is her Sasha Fierce, which is like a persona that she puts on. Like it's there's Beyonce and then there's Sasha Fierce. Mm. And I think her goal is to like blend the two or to embody both sides and to be able to kind of turn on Queen Bee when she needs and then just be Beyonce in other moments. I don't know her, but that's my sense. Yeah, I think it's turning on that inner royalty that we have, that divine spark, that light, and coming into full-blown self-manifestation and believing in that. Yeah. Because that is who we are. And so much of the work is getting out of our way and trusting that there is something incredible and beautiful and unique that only I can bring to this world. Mm. And Hashem believes in me. The question is, do I believe in myself? Just listening back to the last weeks, something that I found really striking in the beginning was that I I wasn't very trusting of myself going through the process. And I think every week I've said, this is going to be hard. I don't know if I can do it. And there's something self-defeating about that. It kind of hurts to hear a little bit because what if I just said I can do it? Or yeah, this will be difficult, but I can show up for this instead of shooting myself in the foot before I start. And it's a habit I think a lot of people have of setting the bar low within yourself to feel comfortable maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole another psychoanalytic exploration for why I do that. But 
it seems like this quality is a matter of changing your self-talk. That is so on point. <laughs> yeah. Because the quality of malhut that we learn about in the Kabbalah is that it's connected to speech. Mm, whoa. You think, oh, it's your feet. It's where what you do, how you show up. Right. You were there, saying that there's a limb, that this week we were going to yes, learn the limb. Exactly. It's, it's the mouth? And it's the mouth. It's speaking your power, speaking your truth, expressing your inner world to the outer world, trusting that, expressing your, what is kingship and queenship? That means there's a confidence and trust that you were chosen to be in this role. You're taking center stage now. You're queen bee, Sasha. Come out, girl. (laughs) Or boy. Yeah, or boy. (laughs) Let it shine. You got this. So it's trusting that and believing in that and knowing that you are the superhero of your story. And it's a, it's a mind shift because we're you're right. We're like, I'm working on myself. I'm trying. I'm going to get there one day. And it's like we have to remind ourselves at every stage of life, wherever you are, you already have – you have the tools right where you are inside of yourself to accomplish whatever you're meant to in this moment. Yeah. You're already there. You're already there. You're there. You're there whether you like it or not. So own that. Own it. And yet there are six weeks to go through to get to the point where you're like, oh, I had it all along. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's by the way, that's exactly what it is. It's like you always have it. You always had it. You always will have it. Nothing can take that away from you. You're just innately that. Mm. And, you know, for for a king or a queen, there's this awareness of I have the tools inherently, genetically. I've gone through all of these tests and challenges in my life that have got me to this point. But putting that aside, there's something very inherent about the majestic quality of Mm. a king or a queen, right? It just is. It simply is. Yeah. There's nothing you have to do. You don't have to do anything. You're it. Yeah. You got it. It's like every Pixar movie. (laughs) I think Pixar has like their structure of story and it's like you have a person and they don't think they have this thing and they set out on a journey and they have to go through all these tests and trials and then they get it and it turns out they had it all along but you have to go through this journey to get to the point where you realize what you had all along what's striking to me is that we do this every single year not only do we do this every single year during my lifetime we have been doing this every single year for centuries that says that there's something about the human experience that we're never going to feel like we fully get it. Like Mm -hmm. you have to go through this renewal process of feeling like you don't get it. And then you realize that you're fine. But that like cyclical process is a part of the journey. Totally. It's like we have to go through the process. That's the way that Hashem created the world is there's time and we have to honor that time. And each moment calls for something else. Sometimes it's the chesed part of us. Sometimes mm. it's the Gevora, sometimes it's the Tivera, and so on and so forth. But at every single moment, that Malchut exists. It's mm. like underneath everything. And sometimes it's like creating space for it to surface, reminding ourselves like whether I feel in- inadequate or super solid, it-, it doesn't matter. I've got it. Hashem has instilled within me unique powers and gifts and traits. And I'm going to speak into that. I'm going to show up with it. I'm going to recognize the big picture here. In some ways, it feels like malchut. It's the state of being able to tap into the emotion or the trait that you need in the moment that you need it. It's not that I have to be embodying chesed and gevura, the restraint and the love 
and the harmony and the, like, all of these different things at one time. It's that every moment calls for a different trait, a different expression of one of these attributes. And I have the ability to bring that out because I've spent time with each of them. Really what you're saying is being present with each moment, showing up to it. I'm here. I don't know what this moment is calling for, but I'm here and I'm, and I'm willing. It's a little confusing because I spent time with each of these traits and now I'm just going into the world and I'm me again. There's so much focus on understanding them and you spend seven weeks doing that. And now it's going to be a new day, a new month, I'm going to go into a new year and I'll probably have forgotten them. And I guess it's just a matter of trusting that whatever I gained from this process is in me. And I've cultivated new skills. I've stretched myself and I have whatever I need. And I don't necessarily have to feel like I have it. It's just there. We go through this cycle on a daily basis, yeah. right? The chesed to malchut is a daily experience. We start at chesed and then we end at malchus. And that happens over and over and over again. And we're going to mess up and we're going to feel deficient in this area and that area. And that's okay. I think that wraps my time learning from you. And I'm so grateful to you for guiding me through these weeks. I could not have done this without you. I thank you because I felt like it highlighted for me also. I mean, I had to really shine and polish for myself mm. what all these spirit were. And, you know, ultimately we're going to receive the Torah on Shavuot, whether we're ready for it or not. <laughs> so, you know, Hashem believes in us again. Hashem believes in us. We're ready. Yeah. We're ready. God is with us. I feel like this is when some like gospel song starts <laughs> in the podcast. I'm all about the gospel. <laughs> Me too. I feel like we need a Jewish version of Kanye 100%. getting up on stage and like everyone raging together. <laughs> Why doesn't that exist? That's the next podcast. Kylie Mo. <laughs> it's the process of building up that new gospel sound. With that, I go into my final week of Sphira, learning what it means to put Malchut into practice. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Tuesday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. This week is all about malchut, queenliness, kingliness, and a trait of majesty. As I mentioned yesterday, Beyonce, or Queen Bee, is what comes to mind when I think about this trait. Now, I used to hate it when people would valorize Beyonce and turn her into a queen. But now that I'm starting to understand what queenliness actually means, I totally get it. She is. This week, I'm reading some poetry by Beyonce from the visual album that came out alongside her audio album, Lemonade, in 2016. In the final chapter of her 11-chapter album, Beyonce speaks the words, Take one pint of water, add a half pound of sugar, the juice of eight lemons, the zest of a half a lemon. Pour the water from one jug, then into the other several times. Strain through a clean napkin. Grandmother the alchemist, you spun gold out of this hard life, conjured beauty from the things left behind. Found healing where it did not live, discovered the antidote in your own kit. Broke the curse with your own two hands, you passed these instructions down to your daughter, who then passed it down to her daughter. I had my ups and downs, but I always find the inner strength to pull myself up. I was served lemons, but I made lemonade. Possessing the trait of queenliness and kingliness isn't about getting to a place where you're wearing the finest and looking the way a queen or king looks in storybooks. It's about getting through the difficulties to come away with something good. 
It's about working on yourself, being devoted to fixing your relationship to these seven emotional attributes and gaining an understanding that you don't have it all figured out. Beyonce's grandmother Agnes embodied Malchut, and she gave her daughter the recipe for attaining the same thing in her life, who then passed it on to her daughter. Reaching Malchut takes steps, just like the Sphira. Beyonce's lemonade recipe has seven steps. Take the water, add the sugar, juice the lemons, zest a lemon, pour the water from one jug into another, repeat, and strain. Life is hard. It's filled with lemons, but with a recipe to make lemonade, you're able to make something out of it. Sphira to me is that recipe, and Malchut is the recognition that the lemons and the lemonade exist. We end the Sphira with a sense that we have been given an instruction guide to going through life in a way that makes us feel whole. Here are the seven core emotions that you have to focus on. You know what you need to do, and after following the recipe, you'll create something. And the next time the lemons show up, you'll go through the steps to make lemonade again, because inevitably there will always be more lemons. So on my continued journey to find queenliness, I am going to talk to one of my favorite people, a woman who embodies Malchut to me. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Wednesday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Normally on Wednesday, I do something to help me understand the Sphera. This week, I'm saving that for tomorrow because my due for the final week of Sphera wraps up my entire experience with the Omer. So today, I am bringing you the interview I normally do on Thursday with somebody who embodies the attribute of the week. For this week of Malchut, the trait of queenliness, kingliness, and overall majesty, I'm talking to one of the women I admire most, Alana Newhouse, the editor-in-chief of Tablet Magazine. This trait of Malchut is about going through the ups and downs involved in honing each of these emotional attributes time and time again. There is nobody I know who has done that like Alana. She's come away from her experience with the ability to meet every moment with grace and comfort in who she is. Alana is so thoroughly herself and a total queen, making her the perfect person to talk to this week. Hi, Alana. Hi, Kylie. I'm so excited because the reason why I want to talk to you for Malchut is because Malchut is all about queenliness, kingliness, we can say that, but it's the ability to hold all of the different traits of the Omer. So it's all these different emotional traits. It's humility, it's discipline, it's love, connection, and to be able to move through them and pull them out when you need them. And I don't think that there's anybody I've met who does that better than you. The first time we ever like hung out was at the Marlton Hotel. And the whole time I was thinking like, okay, when is it going to come out? Like, when is she going to show me that this is not real? I really thought like there was going to be something that was going to come out that you were going to be switcheroo. like, yeah, some kind of thing where it was like, she's really great, but it can't be that she's this great. Like there's got to be something she's faking it or something. And you never, it never came out and you're very real and you're very grounded. And it's really hard to do that. <laughs> First of all, it's interesting that you brought up the sitting in a bar or in a lounge together as a moment that felt evocative or generative to you. 
because it's it's an awkward thing to say, but I'm actually quite a, I'm a private person. Mm. I'm not on any social media in part because that's not where I feel good and I don't feel good because I can't be real. Mm. Um, and I mean, I have plenty of pretty gross and unattractive adjectives about me <laughs> too, but um, the point is, is that I can't manifest any of the things that feel like me in a space that doesn't feel, that feels public mm. or feels like I'm not actually connecting to another human being. It doesn't feel safe. So the two things are related. And I, I admire people who can be real in public. I may even still be envious of them. I definitely used to be because I, I like speaking to audiences if they want to hear from me, but that's not really where I'm going to be my present self. You somehow manage to be your present self with other people, though. Like, I've seen you in groups of people, and what you do remarkably well, it is this very, like, a, a royal ability to bring people together and to help them connect by you being yourself. I think it's a lot less about who I am than mirroring back who people are. I'm a journalist, right? And and that's how I was trained and I was and I was drawn to it for a reason. I was drawn to it because I liked the idea of mirroring back to people who they were or what was happening in a moment, and I liked being able to kind of blank myself out a little in an effort to reflect something back because I feel like the reflection can be incredibly useful for one's own ability to fix and enrich and better oneself. And this is kind of obviously relates to the Omer, right? That there's something about the act of ritual that is mirroring. Where were you yesterday when you did this? Now you're somewhere else, but how do you feel? Like it just makes you look at yourself again. I'm not, I'm not trying to be sort of ridiculously modest, but I do think that like what I bring to those spaces is less this huge basket of my own magical attributes and more just a mirror of yours. Mm. What does that look like, I guess, in a person-to-person relationship? Because as I see you, you are just yourself. In every scenario, you're just you. I've seen you with your family. I've seen you with upper society women. <laughs> I've seen you in public. I've seen you like I've seen you in all different kinds of environments. The same person. There's a level of comfort with who you are and how you show up in scenarios that doesn't really change. That to me, the mirroring isn't so much, I don't know, feeding back to somebody else what they're giving as much as it is just you being you. So um, the best behind the music episode was the one with Madonna. It's the best one. And in that one, objectively, um, it's official and everybody knows it. In there, there's this one line, this one great interaction with the interviewer where the interviewer starts starts this question and saying to her, so when you realized that you were going to get to New York and you were going to be a, a dancer and a singer and you were going to take over pop music and pop culture and you were going to be all these things, what was your strategy? Did you think dancing first and then singing? And you know, how did you imagine you were going to take over the world? And Madonna just looks at the camera. She's like, yeah, I was just trying to get the hell out of Michigan. And I come back to that a lot in part because I've written about this before, but I have a son who was very sick as a child who still has a lot of challenges, which is amazing, um, but has a lot of challenges, very challenging for me. And one of the things that I think it did is just like 
Like, I'm just trying to get the hell out of Michigan most days, meaning I literally don't have the capacity to be different people. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I don't know. Even if I wanted to be, I'm not sure I have the kayak to, like, put on a different costume today because that's not what I want to spend my – like, I I don't have the time for that. I want to wash my face, put on some lipstick, and be able to be present with you, but that's kind of, like, the most I'm going to be able to do. (laughs) So – So maybe that's also part of it, that like I had this experience that was very grounding and it really did, it created a baseline or a room tone of my life. And I come back to it all the time, partly because I have to, but also partly because I've learned it's like where I find flow. What was it like before? What were you like in your 20s? And I don't remember at all. I, I mean, it's a really, honestly, I, I, I'm happy that you, I remember the Marlton, which was not long ago. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember. I mean, I do remember, well, I remember being a teenager and I remember feeling quite lost mm. and actually quite lost about this, like quite lost about who I was and why it felt like I was different people in different spaces and I don't know, nothing really felt like it was uh, the best version of me. It always felt like different kind of mediocre versions of me. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with the community that I grew up in, with the sense of being in two worlds, being in a, in a from world and in the larger world. Not, not that it was the community's fault at all, but just I think that my interaction with it was complicated. I didn't know how to be in all of those worlds and to be great in all of them. Maybe some part of the schizophrenia of that experience made me flit the other way, overcorrect by becoming truly only one person ever. I can't change. I can't ever be anything different other than what I am right now, which maybe is a weakness. I don't know. I'm not sure I have a choice anymore. Well, you being yourself doesn't mean that you don't use different resources in sure. that moment. So you do have the ability like, to do what you need to in a given moment and to bring out particular emotion in a given moment, which is why I think it works for Malkut because it's just that. And when I think queenliness and kind of royalty, it's easy to go to an image of somebody who puts on the, takes on the role. That's how I've thought of myself. Like Mm -hmm. you have to take on the role of the wise person Mm -hmm. or the person who is the leader. When in reality, if you're doing it well, you're just the same as everybody else, or you're just you. I shouldn't say just the same as everybody else. You're just you doing it. But I do think that there's, I was just thinking back to the most recent time that we were together and we were in a room with a bunch of people from very, very different backgrounds talking in part about Jewish values, American values. And I found myself so struck by your gentle, totally diplomatic, but very affecting, not criticisms, but a mindfulness that you brought to the conversation, reminding everyone in the conversation that there were many other people outside of that conversation, that those people were very different, that those people had different vulnerabilities and different needs, and that any conversation that purported to be about principles and values that didn't take those people into account wasn't really actually a worthy version of that conversation. What I loved about it was is that there was gentleness in the awareness that you brought to that conversation. And I felt in that moment that, yeah, I guess we're all doing this. We're all doing it for each other. But some of us 
are aspiring to do it better than others. And you, in that moment, it felt to me like I like there was a model there of some kind of awareness and modesty, actually. It was a person with modesty making a plea for other people, a gentle plea for other people to be modest too. And I, I, I was very affected by it. Thank you. I think because you said that and also what you talked about with your son – I think this all comes down on some level to just personal experience and mm-hmm. what you've seen in the world. I'm from Kansas <laughs> and the daughter of a single mom who just tried to get by and all of the things that we have in life, we don't necessarily choose. A lot of the things we don't necessarily choose, but they affect who we are and who we become and how we respond to the world. And if you take the cards you've been dealt and let it inform who you are and how you relate to people you're like you've reached malhut at that point whatever that looks like for the individual person like it'll look different for everybody but the idea that majesty is within your reach as a girl from Kansas like i mean i that to me is a central principle of of Judaism is that some of the highest attainments of the earth are within our reach as human beings, as just that we have the capacity, we've been given the capacity and many of the tools and skills, the aspiration behind that, like the, the, the desire to want to be a queen, even if you never achieve it, that's what I watched in that moment. And that's what I found I admired so much. And, and also it's what I admire and it's what I admire in a lot of people, like this idea of I have a responsibility in this moment to like bring something to this dinner table conversation to help a friend. There's some way of like, I'm here to make this better. This actually brings us back full circle because on the first Thursday episode, I talked to Cheryl Paul, who is God sent to earth, who wrote The Wisdom of Anxiety and who talked about how with her work, she thinks about who am I serving? This can be for one person, but who am I serving And if we carry that into our experiences, into our interactions, it elevates them completely. And it also, it broadens the span of what we can do on earth because we're thinking about other people and we're thinking about the responsibilities that we have and how we can elevate whatever it is that we're doing. I agree. And the reason why I love tying it to an emotion as work a day or as part of a lot of our daily lives as anxiety is that Again, like Sphira, like a lot of rituals, the act itself feels boring or can, sorry, I mean, it feels boring to me. Um, So it feels boring and kind of burdensome and annoying. Um, But in a way, I do feel like the, the analog is athletic training. Some days, if you're an athlete and you're training, some days you do not actually want to run. And then all of a sudden you hit flow. And you can only hit flow on the 11th day because of the 10 days before that felt incredibly annoying and just like a burden and just like something you were doing, but you were priming yourself for the 11th day. Seeing in moments of anxiety or moments of, of feeling, just this is my opportunity to just get through this moment. And then on the other side, there may be an explosion of some sort of opening. It actually relates to a favorite book of mine is a book by Twyla Tharp called The Creative Habit. The whole point of the book is that we're under this impression that artists get inspired, like, and this idea of lightning striking, that uh, it just strikes you. And then all of a sudden you have your Mozart, right? And her whole point is, is in fact, 
That's never how it is for artists. Even artists who don't know what they're doing, they are training and they are creating these mundane moments of life that seed the ground for the lightning strike. I feel like we're doing that with interactions on a daily basis and with rituals. Well, I don't know if there's a better way to end my experience. I'm so grateful. I mean, it is embarrassing. It feels overwhelming, but it's also, I'm so grateful because you mirrored something at me and it, it felt very good. And you mirrored it right back. I saw what you did there. You flipped it. <laughs> you mirrored it back. And that felt good too. It's so a neat I'm, trick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. Very <laughs> subtle. <laughs> right. Thank you, Alana. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Happy Omer. Happy Omer. <laughs> My love for Alana was reinforced by this conversation. When I first met her, she was so perfectly at ease and naturally comfortable with me that I thought she was faking it. I was sure she was faking it. There's something about people who are authentic that can be kind of off-putting. For most of us, I think Malchut is something we are trying to attain. And that's why somebody who's actually made it there is so weird to see. Stay tuned for tomorrow when I bring everything together with some of the special people in my life. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Thursday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Last week, I changed up my action item for Sphera by turning the focus away from myself and onto other people. This week, I'm continuing that by gathering some of my favorite people for a brunch at my apartment. The idea is to celebrate the end of this insane process and put into practice convening people as a true Malhut queen would. We're at my fifth floor walk-up Upper West Side apartment. It's me, the incomparable Dossie Czar, and five other amazing women gathered around my table over a bagel brunch. In Malhut fashion, I feel like I'd be like, welcome to my kingdom or something. <laughs> that was the way that this, that this was like proposed. That Josh, one of the other producers, was like, you are bringing people together to take part in your bounty. <laughs> he kept saying bounty. <laughs> it was all bounty. I was joking. But once we were all there, it really did feel like I had gathered my court around me. We sat and ate and talked, and the combined wisdom of the seven of us left me feeling richer. When my friend came and realized that Dossie was here, it was almost like she was meeting a celebrity. Are you Dossie? I'm Dossie. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, greatest podcast. <laughs> and then it was time to address the knights of my bagel table. Malkut is the last week. And this is my do for that last week. And the idea behind Malhut is that you've worked through all of these like seven different spheres, or I guess six different spheres, and worked on all these emotional attributes, and then you kind of have them at your disposal based on what you've worked on. And today was actually a real challenge for me. Hosting is a real challenge for me because I want, I'm a, I'm a total perfectionist in my life, and I want things to be perfect, and I like want people to leave really happy, and I have some voice from some place in my head I was telling you guys that's just like has really high expectations and that I can't meet them with what I like do and so ordering food is like traumatic because I like wanted to order the right things and make sure everybody's happy what if this person comes and they're not happy 
But it was really cool because what I had was I was able to turn to T. Ferret, which was like meeting the moment and being able to say like, this is what it is. Also really cool that I have a podcast that I can do this on because I don't know if I would do this in my regular life. And so it, it, it's this really incredible feeling to be able to like kind of relax and breathe and say that I'm enough and that what I do is enough and that's what Malhut's all about. And it's like the perfect way to end to like capstone this whole experience. After doing a podcast where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about everything. It was really long. <laughs> there are things that maybe I, like I would have done differently, like record, I don't know. Um, but just that like what I did is enough. So thanks for celebrating the end of a huge thing with me. Thank you. <laughs> God, you're so welcome. It's crazy. What a ride! It was really great to hold space to discuss what we had all learned while we counted the Omer. It means a lot because also like think about this specifically. Think about Tiferes, especially during the Spheros, and like this is it doesn't come easy. Like being yourself and like working on these aspects of your soul, like doesn't come easy. So hopefully, you know, we just continue to grow and like we have these opportunities through the Spheros and you know, through all these life cycle events as a Jew to continue working on ourselves. And it's just such a blessing to have that, you know, to have that structure and that opportunity to work on it. Producer Quinn was there and reflected on what it was like to make an Omer podcast and how genuine and unfaked my emotional transformation was. You always get the emotional thing out of it that you're supposed to get out of it. Mm. And it's so interesting because we just say, like, go talk to strangers on the street. But then you actually do, and you have like a really like profound connection with so like, people that you meet on the street. <laughs> And even though some of these women had just met for the first time that day, somehow we all opened up about our struggles. And with Dossie to ground us in the spiritual part of things, it felt just like making a Monday podcast all over again. Wisdom really comes from curiosity. Your flow of wisdom really comes from a place of being humble enough to ask a question. And so you might think that you grew up with it, you take it for granted, but you're here, you're listening. Mm. There is a curiosity that's obviously leading you. That's your Atma. What I think was back, I, I forgot the name of what spirit it was, but like self-compassion. Which one was Pesna, the first one? like, coming into this conversation and saying like, oh, like, I'm kind of like numb to it. But what you just said is like, no, have compassion for yourself mm. and recognize that even attending this brunch is Ooh. not numb. There was always a conversation around starting to own your relationship with Hashem, right? Because you, you grow up with it. It's so part of you in the modern Orthodox world. And then there comes a point where it's like, okay, but now it belongs to you. It's not from your teachers. It's not because you're in Israel. And I think every single person in their relationship with Hashem comes to a point, whether you're Balchuva, you didn't grow up with religion at all, and now you're coming closer, or you've never been exposed to Judaism, there's a certain turning point where it's like, I have a relationship with Hashem. And I'm ready to own that and step into that. And the key thing that we would talk about is the only way you can grow in your relationship with Hashem is diffusing the shame and guilt of what you think it should look like. And just be present with what it is and know that Hashem loves that and is okay with that. So a lot of it is like, Okay, we're here, we're in this world, we have no control. We think we have control. We go through our lives thinking we have control. You made this event, you 
thought you had control. Yeah. Half the people show up. Like, you, we don't have control. We like to think we have control. We like to think we decide what we do and what we're going to spend our money on and how we're going to spend on our travel and this and that. You have no control. Stop pretending you have control. You don't run this show. And I think there's also an important shift that can take place with the surrender to a, to a point of what can I say thank you for to God. Then the bagels were eaten, the juice was drunk, it was time for people to go home. Yeah. It really did feel so good. Yeah. Thanks for creating this space. Oh my god, thanks for you. Thanks for creating this space. Thank you. 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 Thank to ground and call me before the brunch. When people started coming over and the space was set, I realized that it wasn't about the brunch or whether people had enough to eat. At the end of the day, the most important thing was that there was space for people to come together and talk about their experiences in the world. That's what the Sphera is all about. Malhut isn't about creating a space fit for royalty or dressing like a queen or king. It's about understanding that true royalty is an internal state. It's knowing that you have something to offer people and everything you need to meet the moment. Tomorrow, I reflect for the final time on what I've learned during this process of stretching my soul. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Friday. Hey, it's Kylie, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. After seven weeks of reading, doing, and talking, the Omer is coming to an end. The day after this episode comes out, we kick off the holiday of Shavuot in which we celebrate receiving the Torah and I know for my part, I will be celebrating the end of a beautiful process of stretching my soul. I leave this process feeling a sense of calm. 49 days is a long time, but when you're exploring something new in yourself every week, it becomes a really quick boot camp in which you learn about one thing, feel it, and move on to the next. Malhut is about incorporating all of the things you've learned. It's working on six different skills and then having them at your command. But unlike a sports skill, there is no getting it with emotions. I used to play soccer, and when I learned how to do a trick or a certain move, I had it. I picked a soccer ball up for the first time in a while this past week and found that the skills were still in my muscle memory. They hadn't left. Emotions are different because we'll go through this process again, and I would bet good money that next year the Omer will feel like stretching my soul all over. Maybe there will be muscle memory, or maybe I'll feel like I'm flailing every week and have no idea what I'm doing or how I'm going to get to the other side of a week focused on any one of these emotional traits. After talking to New York City ballet dancer Claire Kretschmar during my week on T-Ferret, I'm feeling like this process will be similar to the experience of a professional ballet dancer or really any other elite athlete. Even when you get to the highest level and you've mastered the skills, you still have to work on the basics every single day. You do the same thing over and over again for your entire professional career. And to know that it's the same with my emotions gives me a strong sense of calm. I know that I can face my struggles because I completed something really difficult. I made it to the other side and to be totally honest, I wasn't sure I would. Sphera came during a very turbulent period in my life. 
which is code for a major period of growth. Big existential questions have come up. I'm in my first really serious relationship, which as anybody who has ever done that before knows, it brings up a lot. And I'm in a period of fluctuation and change in my professional and personal identity. Basically, I've woken up every day for the last 49 days feeling like I don't know who I am. I won't go through every detail, but let's just say that racing to light Shabbat candles on time, talking to strangers in my neighborhood, or rambling to God and nature were welcomed respites. Throughout this process, I've learned two major things. First, that the self-compassion I worked on during chesed is the key to healing. And second, the world opens up to you when you set an intention. It's like what Rilke said in my reading for Hode. Hold the question and you might just live into an answer. Every week I was given a new question to hold. What does it mean to incorporate gavura or discipline into my life? What does it look like to incorporate netzach or perseverance in my life? Every week, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, gave me an answer. I found that my struggles somehow perfectly matched the area of growth I needed to focus on. So that when a week of hod or humility and surrender came around, I knew that my crying over whatever I was crying about that week was connected to this much larger internal stretching process. And it was. This process wasn't just one of stretching my soul, but solidifying my identity. And I have a feeling I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. Most importantly, after a week of Yisod, or bonding and foundation building, I know that I won't be doing it all alone. And that's probably been the biggest gain from all of this. I have gained so much from this process and want to take a moment to express huge gratitude to all of you who came along for the ride, listened, and supported me throughout this incredible process. I also want to thank my stellar producers, Quinn, Josh, Daron, Robert, and Sara, for turning this podcast into what it is. If it weren't for them, this would be totally unlistenable and highly emotional. And now, signing off, I'm Kylie Unell. I feel totally stretched, which means this has been a successful 49 days to stretch my soul. As we Jews say when we conclude something, chazak, chazak, the neat chazek. Forty-nine Days to Stretch My Soul is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Kylie Unell, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruske, Josh Cross, Quinn Waller, Robert Scaramuccia, and Sara Fredman-Ader. Our team includes Stephanie Butnick, Leah Leibovitz, Mark Oppenheimer, and Tanya Singer. Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. For more of me, you can follow at Kylie Unell on Instagram. For more information about this or any other of Tablet's podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts.